0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We will start there this morning. It's good to see everyone. It's good to have visitors with us this morning. You are welcomed and glad that you have come our way. We hope that you find a congregation that is standing for the truth, um, a congregation that is uh, dedicated to doing so, to making sure that we are holding up, uh, the Word, holding up the banner of truth in this community, and it is our desire to to do what we have been commanded to do in the the pages of the New Testament. Again, thank you. Welcome. Uh, We are glad to see you here this morning. This morning I want to talk about those who are chosen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. We've been studying the letters of the Apostle Peter in our Sunday morning class and so this is a familiar passage to us, a recent passage in our minds about Peter and about who he was and about the point in his life in which he writes these letters. He's an an older man and he is nearing the end of his life as he writes in his letters. He realizes that he is near the end of his life. And so he's writing to those who are scattered abroad, scattered around these uh, Roman provinces that he mentions here, and he's writing to those who are scattered throughout. And he reminds him as he opens this letter that, that they have been chosen. And so that's what I want to look at this morning, about those who are chosen. And Peter has some very specific things that he says here, and some very simple words In a very simple way in which he expresses this. So that's what we want to look at this morning those who are chosen. So it begs the question then how is the choice made? Well, let's go back again and read uh, so we have this fresh in our minds. The end of verse one, it says, uh, Who are chosen? He's, He's writing to these people that are scattered. He says those who are chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. So he tells us right there in those few words how they are chosen. So I wanted this morning for us to look at that and talk about this um, uh, God the Father and the choosing, the work of the Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ. All Captured together here in this very short passage. So how is the choice made? Well, first of all, Peter says, it's made by the foreknowledge of God. What do we talk about, or what do we mean when, when it's, we talk about foreknowledge? Well, it means that God would know who it would be that would come to serve Him. Look with me over in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And as we go through this, we're going to make a point about what it means to have foreknowledge, to have predetermined, predestination. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, some things that are, 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 are misunderstood about that. He knew who would come to serve him. In Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 29, it says, For whom he foreknew, there's our word again, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And he whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see, there was a predetermined plan by which God is is enacting these things. He knew beforehand, before time itself, who it was that would come to serve him. He knew that. He had the foreknowledge to know that. And Paul writes here in Romans about those who would come. He said he, he foreknew them, he predestined them, that they might be, I'm talking about Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He also called them, and, and he justified them, and he glorified them. We're talking about a group of people here that God has predestined, predetermined, that would serve Him. Let's go a little further in, in this. Back in 1 Peter chapter 1. He knew who would come to serve Him and He also provided the ultimate assistance to those who would come to serve Him. Back in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. It says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, talking about our Lord, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So it's not just that God determined the, the qualifications, if you will, of those who would serve him, but he provided an example, he provided an assistant those who would serve him. That being Jesus Christ. Again, verse 24. He, for, before, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Sometimes I think we lose sight of, uh, of Jesus' ministry and the things that he did. They're for me. They're for each one of us individually. And yes, they were for the whole world. God sent his son into the whole world, hoping that the whole world would be saved. And of course that is not the case. But he's provided the means by which we can be saved if we make that choice. So he knew who who would come to serve him. He gave us the ultimate example and those who come to serve him enjoy endless blessings. Look over in Ephesians chapter 1. God's provided the means by which we can come to him. He's given us that example and Think of the blessings that we enjoy in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, it says, Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What a blessing. Verse 4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. What blessings that is. What blessings that is to be in Christ. To, be, to have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And it says there that he predestined us as adoption as sons. There's a relationship that God has always wanted with his people. I will be your father, you will be my children. That's the relationship that God has always wanted. And now, as Paul writes here to these Ephesians, he's telling them, this has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has brought all this together so that we might enjoy that relationship through him, to God the Father. But understand this. They must conform to the image of his Son, as we read there in Romans 8 and verse 29. They must conform to the image of his Son. There are those in the world, especially those who hold the Calvinist doctrine, that God has determined each individual whom he's going to save, and there's nothing that we can do about it. If, you're, if you happen to be on that list and you're going to be saved, there's nothing that you can do about it. Scripture tells us otherwise. Scripture tells us that he has provided the means, he has provided the standard by which we are to be saved, that is, to be conformed to the image of his son. So while we talk about the foreknowledge of God and while the language there talks about how he predestined us to be adopted as sons, understand that he, in, in so doing, he has set the standard by which we would come to him. He has not chosen us on an individual basis. Yes, he knows who will come to serve him, but he has set the standard by which we will come to serve him. And we still have the choice whether it is we will mold ourselves, conform to that standard, or not. And those who do are the ones who have been predestined to be adopted as sons. So the choice is made by the foreknowledge of God. The choice is also made by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, as Peter mentions there in verse 2. This idea, this word sanctify, we know what that means. It means a setting apart. If you sanctify something, you set it apart. And especially in, in, in our context, what we're talking about is a setting apart for spiritual service. The work of the Holy Spirit in all of this has been to set apart those who would spiritually be in service to God. So what does that entail? All of the above. All of the above. All the things that have brought us down to this day have been the work of the Holy Spirit in helping set apart those who would serve God. But again, let's understand that there is a transformation that must take place. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we know this familiar verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the idea here is we cannot be conformed to the world. We cannot um, live a worldly life and be expected to be set apart. Rather, what? We must be transformed. If we want to be in service to God, if we want to be called a child of His, we have to be transformed. How? Does Paul say it? Um, By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. How do we renew our mind? We read God's word. We pray. We sing. We come together on the first day of the week. But mostly we read His word. That's how we know God. That's how it informs us how we are to be set apart. I can't know God by any other way than by reading His Word. And He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, as Peter tells us. The the Scriptures are profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, as Paul tells Timothy 2 Timothy 3. All the things that, that the Word does transforms us so that we're not conformed to this world, but rather we're transformed. And understand this about the Holy Spirit also. That we are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Look over in Ephesians chapter 1 again. This is another sanctifying work of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1 beginning verse 13, it says, in him You also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. What does that mean? It means that we have been given a pledge, a down payment, an assurance of salvation, of an inheritance of eternal life, by what means Paul says by the means of the holy spirit he is the pledge he is that down payment he is the one that dwells in those who are obedient to god who have put on christ through baptism who have rendered obedience to the lord that's the holy spirit he's been given to those who have done that as a pledge of our inheritance that's how we know that uh, we are part of that elect we were given the Holy Spirit as a promise, as a pledge. Peter also mentions that the choice is made by our, our obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Look over in Exodus chapter 24. Such a wonderful example of, of how this comes about. Exodus chapter 24. This is during the time of, obviously, the exodus. As the children of Israel are are coming out of Egypt and they're uh, making their way towards the promised land. And God makes a covenant with them. And he says, in so many words, that if you obey my my commands, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the covenant that God has made with them. And he's given them these laws Back over in chapter 20, he has given them the Ten Commandments. He's given them the basics of the law of Moses, and he's he's going on here to talk to Moses about other things, and we'll we'll spell out in detail the complete law that they were to live by. But they have said uh, that they will keep the covenant. If you look there in verse 3 of chapter 24, um, Moses came up to recount to the people all the words of the Lord, and the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words of the Lord has spoken, we will do. So if you come down to verse 7, it says, And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. This is the, the, what has been recorded so far. The covenant that they are, they are making with God. And he has read it before the people. Verse, and it says there, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. So there is... The promise on the behalf of the children of Israel. All that the Lord has said, we will do, and we will be obedient. And then that is ratified in verse 8. It says So Moses took the book and sprinkled it on the people and said, oh, Sorry, took the blood. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So you see, there was a promise made. And then there was a ratification of that promise. children of Israel said, we will be obedient. All that the Lord has said we will do. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on them. And, and thereby he ratified the covenant that they had made with God. A child of God is to be obedient as well. Look back over in 1 Peter. As David mentioned in his comments around the table about being thankful for the Old Testament and the the lessons that we learned there and how it links to the New Testament and tells us about the nature of God. Well, guess what? God wants us to be obedient to him as Christians. He still wants our obedience. In 1 Peter 1, beginning verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird up your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 14. As obedient children. See, God still expects obedience. He still expects us to obey His commandments. And He spelled them out very plainly for us in the New Testament. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, Be yourselves holy in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's what God expects of us. He expects us to be obedient. He expects us to uh, be holy like He is holy, to be set apart. And in this, there is the redemption with blood. Just as the children of Israel, as they, they made that that promise in the hearing of all the people, and then Moses sprinkled them with the blood, guess what? There's a parallel in the New Testament where we are to be obedient children to God and make that pledge to Him through rendering obedience to Him through baptism. And Look what Peter writes here, beginning of verse 17 of 1 Peter 1. And if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but what? Verse 19, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You see, there's the blood again. We're redeemed with that blood. Just as Moses sprinkled the blood on the children of Israel as they made the promise to to be obedient to God, we are washed with the blood of the Lord, the blood of Jesus. So the choice is made by our obedience to God through Christ, ratified with the blood of Christ. His blood saves us from our sins. Without it, there is no ratification. Without it, there is no hope of being obedient to God. Our obedience to God and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Jack read for us from 1 Peter 1 and verse 3 beginning. Let's think about these words in light of what we've just talked about. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, those who are chosen have conformed to the standard by which God is set. And they have been uh, chosen by the foreknowledge of God, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and through obedience to God and the sprinkling of the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so now when we read that, again we have a little deeper appreciation for it, don't we? That all that has been done so that we might be chosen. And guess what? Verse 4: obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Isn't that a blessing? Those chosen, those who fit the standard, those who have rendered obedience to God, have been given the pledge through the Holy Spirit, cannot be taken away from us. It cannot be taken away. What a wonderful blessing that is. Protected by the power of God through faith for salvation to be ready to be revealed at the last time. The question comes down to this. The standard has been set. Will you conform to that standard? Many talk about and, and, and misunderstand this idea of predestination, as I mentioned earlier. That God has chosen who it is he's going to save. He's going to save this person, but not that person, and those three people, but not those five people. No. God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth as we've been studying in 2 Peter chapter 3. He's preserving the world so that all in the world have the chance to be saved. It's not a few here and a few there. God has made salvation available to the whole earth. But it's up to us to choose it. He's made a selection on his part. He set the standard by which we are to be saved. Do we choose to conform to that standard? We offer an invitation at the end of our time together. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to think about the lesson this morning and think about what it means to be a child of God. That God has set up a way that we can be redeemed from our sins, that we can... Stand in his presence. that We can call Jesus Christ our brother and we can call God the Father our Father. He has set that up. He has given us that wonderful plan. If you haven't rendered obedience through baptism, you're not a part of that. And you're lost forever if you die in that state. But there is hope. As long as the sun comes up, As long as we're still drawing breath in this world, we have opportunity to be saved from our sins through rendering obedience to God. I would encourage you to make things right. If you're a child of God and you're not living up to the standard that has been set, I would encourage you to make things right. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand to sing to encourage you.